Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI and You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Press, and Cora Media. In AI and You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives. From social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and You wherever you listen to podcasts. You're a bud. So we think this crisis is going to continue. And in that context, I think the government is hoping they can get through the winter without too much opposition or disruption. And they'll have the spring and the summer sort of to get them to the next stage of this crisis. The war on Ukraine has provoked rising inflation across Europe. For many people, this implied rising costs to heat homes, buy food or pay for services. It's what economists and journalists define a cost of living crisis. These days, nowhere across Europe, the cost of living crisis appears to be as strong as in Ireland. That's why, recently, the current Irish government, led by a coalition of centre, centre-right and green parties, committed as much as 11 billion euros to fight the cost of living emergency in the country. But will it be enough to help Irish citizens to go through the winter? Today on Europe Talks Back, the cost of living crisis in Ireland. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. We'll be right back. Hey, my name is Eddie Conlon. I'm the convener of the Cost of Living Coalition in Ireland. I work at the Technological University of Dublin as a lecturer. Eddie Conlon is also a trade unionist and a member of the radical leftist party, People Before Profit. Eddie is one of the founders of the Cost of Living Coalition, an informal alliance of NGOs, workers, interest groups and leftist opposition parties. Today, the Cost of Living Coalition consists of 30 informal groups across the country. And this is the story of how it was born. At the start of the year, when the inflation started to take off, as they say these days, there were conversations between various NGOs, pensioner groups, some members of parliament who were in People Before Profit, and then some members of parliament who were in Sinn Féin. And eventually, well, we decided to have a meeting and the Cost of Living Coalition was essentially launched. Eddie has been politically active since the 70s. Therefore, he has also a long-term perspective on Irish politics. We asked him what makes the Cost of Living Coalition special compared to previous experiences and alliances. So it's a very loose coalition in the sense that it just meets in general meetings every week. That's the structure of it. We're now trying to develop groupings around the city and outside of Dublin, local activist groups, which is like the next phase of making the thing more embedded in the community. And that work is currently ongoing. But up to now, it's been a formal coalition of about 30 different groups at this point have affiliated. But why was there a need for an informal coalition to appear 
in the Irish political context to call for better protection of workers and citizens. Because uh, together people are more powerful. I mean, it's the basic united front sort of tactic that the parties will have a certain influence and so on, but their mobilizing capacity is not always as deep as it should be. I think that perhaps the biggest demonstration the government has seen in quite a long time. And certainly post-COVID, it's certainly the biggest thing that's uh, happened in Dublin in terms of people being on the streets. At the end of September, the Cost of Living Coalition took the streets of Dublin, the capital of Ireland. The protests came days ahead of the government's new budget, which eventually was approved on Tuesday, September 27. If you are an older person, you're having to spend more of your pension on heating your home. As a result of the newly approved budget, approximately 11 billion euros will be targeting the cost of living crisis. The package includes increase in welfare and pension payments, as well as in state subsidies on energy bills. Also, part of the measures, reductions in the cost of childcare and education. On top, the government also created new income tax credits to counteract high rents. And eventually, it is understood that families will receive 600 euros in credits over the winter to tackle their energy bills. In light of all of this, the international press hailed the measures put in place by the government as unprecedented. However, Eddie defines the results as not satisfactory, or at least twilight. I think the march before the budget did have some influence on the outcome. It's not satisfactory by any means, but certainly I would think the government took notice. If you have uh, perhaps up to 20,000 people on the streets, the government is going to have to take notice. To understand why the new budgetary measures are insufficient if seen through the lenses of the Cost of Living Coalition, one has to dig deep. Here comes Eddie's view on why Ireland is experiencing, today, such an acute cost of living crisis. Okay, well, there are standard explanations in terms of the post-COVID effects on supply chains and so on, the war in Ukraine. These things are not, they matter, right? They are part of it. There's a particular problem in Ireland about housing. There's a housing crisis been going on, it's getting worse. Housing costs, based on the manner in which the uh, Eurostat calculates them, are about 88% higher here than the European average. But also the social wage in Ireland is very low. So, although the coalition was born in 2022, it appears that the most recent COVID-19-related and war-related increase in the cost of living was only the latest straw that broke the camel's back. So we always had relatively high costs, poor social wage, and then you had the inflation crisis linked to the post-COVID uh, supply shocks, the war in Ukraine, but also significant profiteering by energy companies. Yet all of this does still not explain why the recently approved budgetary measures are not fit for purpose in the eyes of Eddie. The problem with the budget is a lot of the money went to once-off measures. So, for example, I think they're giving every family about 600 euro, every household 600 euros to pay the electricity bills and gas bills. The problem with that is in the absence of price controls, is that's going to incentivize the companies to keep them. There's no, there's no incentive in there to stop the energy companies increasing their prices. So are we just pouring this money? Secondly, in relation to social welfare and pensions. There was unanimous agreement across the political opposition, the various NGOs, people dealing with people campaigning on poverty and so on, that welfare rates needed to increase by about 20, 25 euros a week 
to protect people from inflation. They've gone up by 12. So there's a significant gap. Broadly, there is no measure in the budget to control the cost of energy, and the income protection measures are, do not match inflation and certainly won't take many people out of poverty. And I suppose they are the big issues uh, we would have with this. What the Cost of Living Coalition advocates for are five radical but simple policy principles, namely control energy costs, protect incomes, make housing affordable, invest in public services, share the wealth. More specifically, however, these five points translate into radical economic and social policies, such as, among others, the control of energy prices, rent controls as well as ban on evictions, free of charge public services, increases in pay-related social insurance by employers, as well as windfall tax on energy companies. For its radical program, as of today, it is unlikely that the Irish government will back up the demands of the coalition. So the question becomes, what next for the cost of living coalition? Well, what we're trying to do now, as I said, is build a campaign more solidly on the ground in communities and so on. So the plan at the minute is on November 12th to have local events around the country in different cities and so on in a coordinated way. So it would appear that new protests are looming in Ireland. As a matter of fact, the very destiny of the Cost of Living Coalition will depend on the upcoming months and, paradoxically, on whether the policies of the government will be able to offset the cost of living crisis or fail. So we think this is not a temporary crisis. Their predictions for growth and so on are all down as well. So we think this crisis is going to continue. And in that context, I think the government is hoping they can get through the winter without too much opposition or disruption, and then they'll have the spring and the summer sort of uh, to get them to the next stage in this crisis. We'll be right back. Robert Sweeney is the Senior Economic Policy Analyst at the Dublin-based Think Tank Task, short for Think Tank for Action on Social Change. Robert's professional work focuses on economic inequality, labour market issues and housing. So this is me speaking to Robert Sweeney. So Robert, let me start from a really general question. How bad is the situation in Ireland these days? It, it's bad. Um, there's a couple of things I would highlight in the Irish context. Is that Ireland has had long-standing problems even before the recent global inflation with being a high-cost-of-living country. So it has had an ongoing rental crisis, housing crisis, particularly rental crisis in the cities, really since 2012, 2013. So we, we had a massive housing bubble in the 2000s that crashed. And since 2012, 2013, price of housing has just continued to rise and rise and rise. Coupled to that, Ireland, Ireland's welfare state isn't as developed in some ways as the welfare state in other countries. So we don't invest that much in public services. And so certain types of goods, healthcare, childcare are very, very expensive in Ireland because we rely on market mechanisms, private providers to a significant extent at least to provide these basic services. When you combine those two things, a high cost of living country to begin with, and then the recent global inflation, this has resulted in lots of households really, really struggling over the last year. So it's bad. It was bad to begin with, and now it's worse. 
looking at who within Ireland has suffered the most, what can be said? It has tended to be lower income households who have suffered the most. Um, they spend a larger share of their income on energy for two reasons. They, they earn less in energy as a necessity and their housing tends to be less well insulated. Our pretty cold country, it's, it's not as cold as some countries during winter. But for those reasons, lower income households have, have suffered the most. So it's definitely bad here. Now, obviously, one of the key words of this debate and social issue is inflation. And one tends to link this directly and immediately with the war on Ukraine. So can you help us understand a bit the development of inflation trends and what does the rise of inflation depend on? The Russian invasion of Ukraine has uh, resulted in massive increases in energy prices. I would say that that's not the only issue. So if you look at before the Russian invasion, global inflation was rising partly because China still hasn't emerged from COVID like other countries have. China being the major factory of the world has had lockdowns while other countries have basically not have lockdowns anymore. The opening up in other countries leads to a demand for goods and services, but then shutting down in China to a significant extent has led to supply falling. So that's an, another factor behind uh, inflation, and that was magnified by the Russian invasion of Ukraine then. So that's true for the global economy. And what about Ireland more specifically? If you look at in Ireland in particular, the lockdown in Ireland was one of the most strict lockdowns in the European Union. The health authorities took the view here that lockdowns were the way to deal with the COVID crisis, and that was effective in terms of health outcomes. Now, one consequence of that was that because the lockdown was so strict, you have had in Ireland quite large accumulations of savings. And so when the lockdowns ended, you had higher pent-up demand in Ireland compared to other countries. If you look at the inflation rate in Ireland, just stripping out energy, the inflation rate in Ireland is higher than the Eurozone average when you exclude energy. Now, the Irish government made the headlines for approving a budget and measures that try to tackle the cost of living crisis. In the first part of this podcast, though, we had a really critical voice who told us that it's not satisfactory what was decided upon. What's your take on the new budget from the Irish government and the policies that were planned? So, yeah, so if, if you look at the measures that the government introduced, they were very much focused on cash transfers. So there was various increases in welfare spending aimed at the lower income households who have suffered the most from the crisis. Aligned with that, there was a few tax measures such as uh, energy credits and other things. If you look at the distributional impact of those measures, it has certainly protected those who have suffered most from COVID. I would you know, very much welcome that. The government has taken the view that you shouldn't try to protect people fully from the inflation crisis, because that would just add to the already existing inflationary dynamics in the Irish economy. And, and I mentioned that not all of that can be 
attributed to the to international fact. I wouldn't really disagree with that point too much. So far, so good for the good points, I'd say. What about the critical aspects? What I would be critical of, of the government is that, okay, you mightn't be able to protect everyone completely from the cost of living crisis, but there really hasn't been any serious move to address the kind of long-standing structural issues in, in the Irish economy, which has elevated our cost of living. So I mentioned that there has been a housing crisis. It's pretty well recognized what needs to be done, and that's there needs to be more building of housing. And the private sector has, for a variety of reasons, just been incapable of building enough housing uh, to meet the needs of the Irish population. And particularly the needs of the urban population. The government needs to step in, increase building of social, public, affordable housing. So I would be critical of them not making investments, which would benefit in the medium, short, medium and long term, the Irish economy, and which would contribute towards bringing Ireland's high cost of living down, and also particularly helping people who are less well off, which investment in public and social housing would do. Now, we understood that there's changes that would be needed and long-term changes, yet it's difficult from outside Ireland to understand why this is not happening, specifically, for instance, linked to the long-lasting housing crisis everyone knows about is happening in Ireland. So why are things not changing in Ireland, Robert? So, so there's those sort of difficult institutional changes, and then there is also uh, the reluctance due to historical legacies on the part of Irish policymakers to increase government spending. And there's issues surrounding power and class and who will pay for the necessary increases in public and social housing. So if you don't mind, let's try to disentangle those three different aspects one by one. Ireland historically has had a number of financial crises, including public financial crises. It had one in the 1980s because there was an ill-designed stimulus package in the 70s and 80s, and this resulted in a public debt crisis in the 1980s. Again, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, Ireland, like a lot of other Southern European countries, had to get a bailout from the Troika. And I've heard it being said that this has led to a, a legacy of fiscal conservatism within the policymaking apparatus of the Irish state, whether it's senior civil service, whether it's the traditional government parties. It should be said that our fiscal stimulus, our response to the pandemic was big and it was bigger than most other countries. But there is probably these long-standing legacy issues, as well as just issues of class and power that they don't want to levy taxation, etc., in order to increase spending. And so more specifically, back to housing, what has gone wrong over the past few decades? There's a number of other problems with the housing sector in Ireland. It is the case that Ireland actually spends a lot already on housing which may surprise a lot of people, but it's it's not spent 
necessarily in, in the most efficient manner. There's problems with our planning system as well. It's quite difficult to get things built here. If you look at the Anglo-Saxon countries in general, their planning systems, despite the fact that they tend to be generally neoliberal, their planning systems are quite cumbersome and make it difficult to build things. There's lots of objections and it's very adversarial. And there's other problems, corruption in the planning system as well, inconsistency between government policy and local government and, and so on. So ultimately, there needs to be an increase in spending, but there needs to be reforms to how that money is spent and have a, a better housing system as, as well. And these sorts of institutional changes just take a long time. Robert, thanks a lot for these insights into the cost of living crisis in Ireland and also helping us explaining where these problems come from. Thank you very much. 